It's time for Talk Law Radio with Todd Marquardt. Todd Marquardt, attorney at law in Texas. If you're a millionaire or a thousandaire, Talk Law Radio is now on the air. Call in with your business law question, your elder law question. Veteran aid, Medicaid, build a business to get paid. 210-308-8867. Or ask a question online at marquardlawfirm.com. That's M-A-R-Q-U-A-R-D-T, lawfirm.com. And now, it's Talk Law Radio with Todd Marquardt. Welcome to Talk Law Radio with your host, Todd Marquardt. And I'm your co-host, Christiana Villegas. A little muffled because we're wearing masks today. I'm Todd Marquardt, your host. Today's show is sponsored by Marquardt Law Firm and Falcon Bank. Decisions about your future can be difficult, but at Falcon Bank, the trust department can make planning for tomorrow a positive experience. From estate planning and administration of trust to investment management, including real estate and mineral management, Falcon Bank offers solutions with an honest evaluation of what you need. Call Falcon Bank at 210-489-4150 to discuss how they may be of service to you. Well, it's great that we can have sponsors like Falcon Bank and Marquardt Law Firm to have our radio show. And last week, if you missed it, we had Tyler Rutherford on our show to help us talk about employment laws. You can find that episode if you visit our Facebook page where we're streaming live right now. We can't accept any calls today, but you can send us comments about any shows, any questions, suggestions of topics that you want to hear by finding Talk Law Radio with the Scales of Justice. And then next week, we're going to have Weston Martinez to help us learn about communication technology. So find our Facebook page. Watch us right now on Facebook live stream and send us your suggestions and questions about today's episode. You're listening to Talk Law Radio at 9.30 a.m., The Answer, or you're watching on Facebook Live. Listen now to discover your legal issue blind spots by listening to me talk about the law on the radio. Because I'm a licensed attorney, I must give a disclaimer required by the State Bar of Texas. That's the state agency that governs my law license. The State Bar wants attorneys to inform the public about the law, But because legal advice must be tailored to the specific circumstances of each case, and because laws are ever-changing, material discussed is meant for general informational purposes only and is not to be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice. Although the information has been gathered from sources believed to be reliable, please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Let's begin with prayer. Of course. Dear God, thank you for this day and for all the gifts and blessings that you give to us. Please forgive us for our sins, for our mistakes, for doing the wrong thing and failing to do your will. Please help Jim Mullen, Christiana, and me give good information to the listeners about farm, ranch, and wildlife law today. Help us to use the gifts and talents you have provided for the good of your people, for our own good, and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we are live here today, this Saturday, on Talk Law Radio to learn about ranches, real estate, And this time right now, we might be looking for a bigger backyard, have a little bit 
more space between us for social distancing. And we have our guest joining us on the phone, Jim Mullen. Can you hear us, Jim? Yes, I am fine. Oh, welcome to our show, Jim. You are live on our show. How are you this morning? I'm very well, thank you. Good. You're healthy, I suppose. Yes. Uh, we started uh, social distancing and gloves and whatnot before it was fashionable. We were actually in uh, Mississippi on spring break. My wife is a university professor, and we got a little antsy and decided we would skip New Orleans and come straight home, which I think was a good choice. Yeah, they, they've been having a lot of trouble there. So today's topic is going to be ranch sales, acquisition, development, management consulting regarding real estate, range and wildlife management, and ranch development and management in South Texas and the Texas Hill Country. So Jim, tell us a little bit about yourself. What's your education and experience? Okay, uh, I received a bachelor's degree in wildlife ecology from A&M in 75 and went into the service, got out of the service, became a ranch manager down in Crystal City, uh, moved from there to a ranch manager job in Charlotte, Texas, and that uh, that ranch owner, once we got everything up and running, suggested that I go back to A&M for a master's, and he paid my way, which is a real blessing. Oh, that um, is a blessing. That's a, oh, a good perk. That's right. All I had to do was come down every two weeks, and uh, we put a co-op student on the ranch to look after things. And uh, I oversaw it while I was in grad school. And then when I got out of grad school, I was overeducated to be a manager, I guess, so I tried consulting (laughs) and uh, found out that to advise people on the purchase of real estate in Texas, you have to have a license. So I got a license and backed into ranch real estate that way. So I wear I wear two hats. I'm a wildlife consultant and a ranch broker. Well, first of all, let me say thank you for defending our freedom uh, for your time with the United States Marine Corps. Well, it was fun. <laughs> and uh, at the time, nobody was shooting at me, so I was good. Oh, that's a blessing as well. Sure. Okay, so tell us more about uh, the the certifications and the licenses that you hold. Well, the, the um, I have the, the the real estate license. I've had it for thirty three years. Uh, broker for I guess thirty one years. I'm also a, a uh, credited buyer representative with the real estate commission, and then uh, of course I have the, the bachelor's and master's in wildlife. And I'm a uh, certified wildlife biologist with uh, the uh, Wildlife Society. So what does that mean to be a certified buyer's uh, representative? Well, you take uh, coursework uh, that will help you to better represent the buyer. When I first got into business in 86, 87, um, buyers, real estate or ranch buyers anyway, did not have representation unless they paid for out of their own pocket. The commission went to the listing broker, and if I brought a buyer, I was actually a sub-agent to the listing broker with a fiduciary responsibility to the seller. So it was a terrible conflict, and uh, there was a lot of lot of problems with that. So they changed the law and said, okay, the commission for the sale goes to the listing broker, and he, at his discretion, may split it with another broker who is representing the buyer. 
So I get paid by the listing broker, um, but at all times my my vested interest is in the buyer. It sounds like quite a bit of hoops to jump through. Yeah, and well, and again, yeah, it used to be it used to be trouble. It used to be problems because you spend. You know, I've, I've had buyers look uh, for three years, four years. And you get to be friends with them. Well, it was really difficult when, you know, it got down to the bottom line and it turned out you were representing the seller. You didn't really know. Well, it's important to have somebody in your corner, somebody you can trust. Right. And I think that's probably the biggest thing that uh, ranch buyers, first-time ranch buyers, uh, are not aware of, that they can have their own broker with no uh, additional cost to them. And hopefully they'll, they'll pick a broker that knows the area they're what they want to be in and sells them a ranch that'll do what they want it to do. Well, I believe you have that ebook that you have available for people to download, Finding, Buying, and Developing a South Texas Ranch that they can find on what sites, what apps? Well, that's uh, it's available on my, my primary site, com, And then uh, you can also go to buyingatexasranch.com. Uh, and, uh, of course, I'm on Facebook and, and uh, LinkedIn like everybody else. My wife teaches marketing, so I've been drug kicking and screaming <laughs> into, into, into the social media arena. Well, then what what is your preferred uh, method of contact? Would you rather have them call you, visit the website, or send you an email? It'll, it, it, it'll work any way you want to do it. Um, what I need is their parameters, so I have to visit with them to some extent to find out what they're looking for, where they want to be, what they want the ranch to do. Because um, my second ranch, the gentleman that came my way back to, to grad school, had just bought the ranch, and he bought it for quail hunting, and it wasn't the proper soil or vegetation for quail. So, you know, he was into it for a lot of money, and it, it really wouldn't do what he wanted to do. He's in the wrong part of the state. Well, then we'll go through those steps of how you prepare buyers and finding if you're the right match for them when we return after this commercial break. Please don't go anywhere, Mr. Mullen, and we will return live here on Talk Law Radio with Todd Marquardt, learning about ranch real estate. Stay tuned. You've heard him on Talk Law Radio. Now work with his firm yourself. Marquardt Law Firm is the go-to firm in San Antonio for wills, trusts, and powers of attorney. Want to have a say on who will get your money and assets when you die instead of leaving it up to a judge? Then you need a proper estate plan in place, and Marquardt Law Firm can help you do just that. It can also develop a strategy for your long-term care financing and help maneuver the complicated Medicaid process for your family. Call them today to schedule your no-cost legal consultation. Call 210-530-4278. Again, that's 210-530-4278. Protect what's yours with Marquardt Law Firm, marquardtlawfirm.com. Welcome back to Talk Law Radio with your host, Todd Marquardt, and I'm your co-host, Christiana Villegas, and we have on the phone with us Jim Mullen, who is helping us learn about ranches, real estate, what it's like to choose a broker and choose the land that has different purposes and intents, but depending on what kind of land you find, right, Jim? Well, that's right. I think the the most important aspect of buying land is to learn the soil that will do what you want to do and, of course, the location. Well, then, Um, while you're live on the air with us, how about you tell us some of the locations that you found that 
were mismatched with the decision <laughs> was is it a uh, finding the place and then making the purchase or is it often ha- finding out the consequences post purchase well a lot of times the consequences uh, uh, can't be uh, rectified if you buy a, a ranch that has a heavy clay soil and you want to manage it for quail, it's not going to work because quail prefer sandy soil because sand is more responsive to light rain and produces weeds, which quail have to have. A lot of people uh, aren't familiar with how much woody vegetation different wildlife species need. Quail only need 10%, 20% properly distributed, whereas deer would like to have 50% woody species or brush. So there's a mix there, and you can change that, but if you have the wrong dirt, it won't make any difference what you do with the brush. So these animals that you're mentioning, quail and deer, these don't sound like the basic animals that you hear on a ranch. And I would like to start off with asking, what's the difference between a ranch land and a farmland? Because I think some people might get confused that they just might be the same thing. Are they different names or are they a completely different kind of registration? Well, they're descriptive terms. Uh, a ranch is normally uh, a mixture of, of grass and woody species or brush, whereas a farm is mostly cleared, mostly in field, uh, unless it's an orchard, of course. But a farm is is farmed for a product, whereas a ranch is not necessarily farmed, but it's managed to produce the vegetation that you need for cattle or wildlife or both. And uh, that's that's the basic reason for it's ranch rather than farmed. If somebody's looking to buy a ranch, uh, what would you suggest that they do uh, before they even start looking? They need to decide what they want their ranch to do if, if, and how far away. That's another mistake a lot of people make. They'll, they'll go far, far west to get cheaper land, but it may be a three- or four-hour drive from home, and they simply higher of the drive and don't utilize the ranch like they could. Conversely, they could buy a smaller place closer to them and use it a lot more. Right. So they need to have the the end goal in mind before they start having you show them uh, different places. Right. And that's part of the process when I visit with them is, you know, what do you, what do you want? What do you want this ranch to do? You just want a place to sit in a rocking chair and look at the view, uh, we'll get you up in the hill country. If you want uh, big deer, you really don't, you know, you don't want to be in, in uh, Kimball County or whatnot. you you got to be further south unless you're going to do a high fence, and then there's arguments for and against high fence and supplementing. Uh, how native do you want your wildlife to be, and how managed do you want your wildlife to be, and do you even care? You, a lot of people want a hobby herd of cows, although... In 33 years selling ranches, I've only uh, worked with two buyers that specifically were looking for cattle ranches. Everybody else has been wildlife. Wow. And so they they call you, or what, why don't they just work with the seller? They, they start searching the Internet. They find some places that look good to them. Uh, what could go wrong if they don't have any representation at all? Well, the first thing is they could buy the wrong ranch, which means they'd buy the wrong soil or, or, or uh, a ranch that's uh, too open or too cleared. 
if it's uh, 500 acres of coastal grass, uh, coastal Bermuda grass, and the seller says, "No, we have great, we have great deer hunting." Well, there's no deer on it. It's a parking lot. <laughs> so somebody needs somebody needs to be looking out for your best interest. And a lot of times, let's be honest, a lot of times the listing broker is uh, very helpful and very straightforward, and um, will help you get the ranch bought by without your representation. But uh, somebody that has done it a lot knows which questions to ask of a seller. So what are the common misconceptions that people come and ask you that you have to disprove or explain away? Well, probably the biggest one is that you can have good quail hunting on 100 acres. You just, that doesn't work. You could have good deer hunting on 10 acres. That doesn't work. Um, Wildlife unless it's a pin-raised environment or a confinement of some sort, wildlife needs a large enough area so that the population uh, doesn't get inbred and can reproduce and find nutrition to adequately express their genetic potential. So then how does that work if I... Are you able to answer this? When someone buys a ranch and there happens to be already a wildlife habitat on it, does that person then own the wildlife that's on that ranch, or is it still a part of nature and independent from this from the rancher? That's a, that's a good question, and it's kind of a stickler because if you spend any time driving in South Texas, you've seen high fences, eight foot, ten foot net wire fences, and these are either enclosures or exclosures, depending on what they want to do. But ordinarily, they're just pins for the deer inside the pens. Now, the deer inside the pens, by constitution, belong to the people of Texas. And some people would say that they're um, unfairly confining these animals so that uh, they can't be hunted by other people. But uh, high fencing is legal. Um, And inside the high fence, a lot of times you'll find deer pens. Now, those deer, in theory, are property of the landowner or the deer owner, and they were born and raised in pens, so they're not wild animals to begin with. Uh, the question begs itself, uh, where did the first one come from if it's born in a pen? So at some point, somebody captured deer, put them in pens, and now the descendants of those deer are being bought and sold, traded like cows. Wow. So the ranch's version of which came first, the chicken or the egg, which came <laughs> yeah. first, the fawn or the doe. Yeah, that's right. So yeah. I was just going to say that the the deer are owned by the state of Texas. That's why we have hunting licenses. So if I want to buy a, a ranch for hunting, there's probably other things that I have to consider about the land. Um, you mentioned soil, which was the the most surprising thing to me uh, that that you should start out with the dirt. Reminds me of uh, when the Bible talks about um, building a strong foundation. Well, the, yeah. the foundation of your ranch is the soil, right? That's it. That's it. Now, the, the second thing that's very important is water, uh, particularly in South Texas. Water drives the machine, so you have to you have to ask about subsurface water and or surface water, which is ponds or lakes. 
Um, I, I helped buy a ranch out of Petula where well water was simply too deep to economically uh, produce. So that, that particular landowner uh, was able to, to run cows and manage wildlife with uh, rainwater captured off his barns. And um, had you know big lakes and stuff too, but if it didn't rain, then he had to sell everything off. Oh no! So yeah, how do so you, you how do you get a good look at all of this stuff? Do you get in a, a four wheeler or a golf cart and just drive all over the ranch, or are there other ways for you to get a good look at it? Or the stereotypical <laughs> assumption that should every ranch owner own a I'm sorry. <clears throat> Every ranch owner should own a horse? No, I'm the first person to tell you don't get on a horse. I, <laughs> I, I have a hate-hate relationship with horses. Uh, when I was a uh, ranch manager, they, the first time they, they provided me with two horses because I was the manager. And neither one of the horses wanted me on its back, and I didn't want to be there. So uh, we, we made a made an uh, agreement that we would agree to, to uh, not get into cowboying but yeah how do you see a ranch uh, big thing now is drones these drone videos um, are a good way i used to tell people that before they spent several million dollars they should spend a couple of hundred dollars on a helicopter because you see a ranch from the air it's a lot different than when you're driving a pickup but you initially start with a pickup and Hopefully the ranch has good enough roads where you get to uh, get to see enough of it to make a decision. But between um, the pickup and ATVs, if you got them, they do that. Um, and a broker years ago, Johnny Rosenauer, used to bring horses and um, they go ride horses, and I never went along for that reason. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you you, may, you need to see enough of it so you have some idea of what you're actually going to buy. So you got soil, water, and what else? Uh, vegetation. You got a you know you've got a history there. Um, Two hundred years ago, everything from San Antonio to the Rio Grande was basically grass. It was a sea of grass, and overgrazing over time allowed brush to take over. So, no matter what you're looking at in Texas, somebody has been quote-unquote, managing it for 150 years. So that history is, to a large extent, the reason why a ranch looks like it looks today. Now, they can uh, they can uh, root plow brush, which is a huge operation with the bulldozer, and it just scrapes the brush off the surface. You can kill it with herbicide. You can uh, mow it like a lawn with a big, heavy mower. You can do a lot of things with it, and that's all management of the vegetation. Okay. So there's three things, soil, water, and vegetation. And vegetation is, again, a product of moisture, rainfall, um, soil, and the species that have been introduced or are native there. And that'll determine what kind of wildlife would like to inhabit that area of the state. Exactly right. If yep. you want to invite that wildlife to your ranch, you need to make it a little bit more appealing for the wildlife. Well, that's right. And a lot of times uh, people that want a good deer, but don't want a high fence, don't want to pin them in, will manage their, their ranch and keep the center of the ranch quiet so that the deer don't feel threatened. And everything the deer needs is in the center. Now, 
that that being the case, uh, white-tailed doe uh, needs some 600 acres as a normal range, 300 to 600. The buck, the male, uh, can range miles and miles. So if you have a low fence and you're less than 5,000 acres, then some of your deer are going to come and go. And uh, if you make the center of the ranch more uh, appealing, then they'll stay. Hmm. That's interesting. Uh, When we come back after the break, uh, let's talk more about uh, managing uh, ranches for specific purposes, Uh, one for quail, one for deer. And then I'd I'd also like to ask you about the the myth that we discuss every hunting season about um, uh, why there's no hogs or why there's no javelina. Are they uh, occupying the same niche on the ranch when we come back after the break? If you want to send us any questions that you have about the myths that you hear about ranches and hunting, then send us your comments right away here on Facebook Live. Find us as Talk Law Radio and the Scales of Justice. We have our live stream going and we're watching the comments after this break. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Talk Law Radio with your host, Todd Marcourt. And I'm your co-host, Christiana Villegas. And staying on the line with us, we have Jim Mullen of Quail Pro LLC. Jim, can you still hear us on the phone? Yes, I hear you fine. Oh, terrific. Thanks so much. You're still live on the show with us. If you're tuning in and you have questions about today's episodes, we're talking about ranch real estate, wildlife conservation versus hunting, what to look for when finding, buying, and developing a ranch in South Texas ranches. Then I also wanted to bring up that you can send us your comments and questions through our Facebook live stream that we are having right now. We do our best to have them every Saturday at 11 in the morning. We were about to ask you, Jim, to dive deeper into what intent a person has for the ranch. What is its purpose? What kind of wildlife or livestock do they want on it? And I wanted to mention that there is a Proverbs that we can reference from the scripture in Proverbs 1316, a wise man thinks ahead, but a fool doesn't and even brags about it. <laughs> okay. So what can you tell us as a wildlife biologist about what um, the, the myth that uh, wild hogs and javelina occupy the same niche out in the wild? Well, they don't, they don't, op- they don't occupy the same niche. Uh, first of all, javelinas are not pigs. Uh, so they're not related in any way to feral hogs. They, uh, feral hogs have a different diet than javelina. Javelina primarily eat, uh, paracactus. Um, it just appears that they don't get along socially. It's like, um, white-tailed deer and sheep don't get along. Uh, studies done up in, uh, up in the hill country show that, uh, given the opportunity, white-tailed deer will leave a passenger sheep in it. But a passion that has goat in it, which directly competes with deer for their food, uh, deer don't seem to mind. So there, there are social aspects to wildlife. That's interesting. Okay, so 
you could have javelina and hogs, but they might not get along. How... Well, that's right. And hogs, hogs have the propensity to overpopulate the area. So it's kind of like the 800-pound gorilla. If you're a, if you're a uh, javelina and you're trying to raise your family and 30 or 40 huge neighbors move in, Ooh. trample everything, uh, eat everything they can get their hands on, including your young, uh, then you normally just walk away and leave it. Yeah. Tell us about the the perfect habitat for quail. The perfect habitat for quail would be a uh, very sandy, loamy soil um, with about 15% woody cover close to the ground. You know, like uh, quail, I like tell people, is about the size of a beer can, and everything loves to eat it, everything. So it's a good thing that they're very, very prolific because uh, from the moment they're born, quail are dying for a number of reasons. Uh, they'll even, uh, if you have a bad drought and you have big cracks in the soil, a hen leading her, her clutch of babies will hop across a crack and the babies will all fall in and die. I mean, they're, they're just looking for a way to die. No. They, can have mud, they can have mud build up on their feet and get to where they can't walk. So it's a very fragile animal, but because they're prolific, they bounce back every year. So far. So they die very easy, but yet they're still around. <laughs> and what parts well, of not... the area can can you find ranches that support that? Okay, the, the famous quail hunting area is down uh, around South Furious, the uh, closer to the coast, where they have what they call the sand sheet. And that's a large part of South Texas that is a deep sand. It's almost a sugary sand. Uh, you have to have four-wheel drive to get around in it for, for whatnot. But that is really good. And the only reason it works down there is because it's so close to the coast. You have the coastal moisture, high humidity, and uh, the vegetation can, can grow better. If it, if it weren't near the coast, it would be a desert. In fact, uh, historically, that's called the uh, White Horse, uh, yeah, Wild Horse Desert, uh, the area between Sacatula and Brownsville, uh, because it's it doesn't grow anything. Uh, personally, I like the red sand that you find around Pearsall, Pearsall to Catula. Uh, it's a little bit heavier soil, and uh, for that reason, it can hold moisture better than a sugary sand. So I like that. The problem with that is. Because it is a better soil, it grows woody brush, and brush will take over. And so I have a, a client I've had for 20 years at Pearsall, and we've spent lots and lots of money fighting brush, different ways, all different ways. And you turn your back, and it's back. And it's uh, a very costly process to keep it open enough for quail hunting. Now, down on the coast, I don't have to worry about it because the soil is so light, the brush has a hard time taking hold. It'll grow weeds, but not brush. And that's why if you drive south of Kingsville, you go for miles, and it's big open spaces. And man didn't do that. God did that. It's just the way it is. Okay, so have you heard of some uh, ranches that might be for sale right now? Oh, gosh. There's always ranches for sale. Um in that, in the, uh, the primary quail area, there's three big ones right now that everybody's everybody's tra- uh, keeping an eye on because nobody stepped up and bought them yet. 
Okay, um, so if uh, you're listening and you're interested in a quail ranch, uh, you might reach out to Quail Pro LLC. By visiting <laughs> quailpro.com. This is Talk Law Radio, though, with our host, Todd Marcourt. If you're trying to call in and send us questions about owning real estate, um, what the ranch purpose is for and what to look for in a broker, we can't accept any calls, but you can follow us on Facebook and watch us on our Facebook live stream. I'm monitoring the comments, so if you have any questions or suggestions about our next episode, then visit us now, Talk Law Radio, and find us with the Scales of Justice. So we're going through this process of talking about buying real estate, choosing what kind of purpose you want to have on it, what kind of wildlife do you want to have drawn to it or potentially buy that's already inhabiting it. Now, what about inheriting, though? A lot of our listeners might be here in the city and they never wanted to stray out into the open area, but then they have a relative who passed away and they end up finding out they inherit this ranch. Well, that's a that's uh, can be a blessing and a curse at the same time. Uh, certainly, anything is marketable at a certain price. Um, there are instances where people have inherited land where the minerals are worth more than the surface. So, you first thing you need to do is get a good real estate lawyer to uh, do a title search and find out what part of the minerals you own. Um, get a definition of the land, exactly where it is, and, and the parameters, and know what you inherited. And so let's say uh, somebody inherits a, a ranch and they want to attract white-tailed deer to it. Uh, what type of soils and, and vegetation would uh, benefit the white-tail the best? Okay, well, if they inherited it, they got what they got. <laughs> if, they're going, if, they're going, if they're going to buy it, then you would look for diversity. That's a big word, diversity. You need a mixture of wood. And remember, too, deer don't live just on brush. They do browse, but they also eat weeds or forbs, flowers, whatnot. And they eat a little bit, not much, of grass when the grass starts growing. So you're looking for diversity, a mixture of those three things. And you can change things, like I said. Uh, you can you can open up brush. You can remove strips of brush. It's called stripping. And uh, when you take the brush out, the first thing that comes back is weeds. So you've automatically matched the deer's diet. You have brush and you have weeds. Now the brush should be diverse as well. Uh, different brush species are palatable or edible different times of the year. So if you have a 1,000 acres of wahia, which is a great grouse species, there's times of the year where it's not palatable or edible by deer. So for a period of time, that 1,000 acres, again, would have nothing to hold deer. So you need a mixture. You need black brush, uh, wahia, wayakon, granjeno. There's a, there's a whole list of them. And it's easy to get to. You can go... Go online to uh, uh, Parks and Wildlife, Texas Parks and Wildlife online, and there's a lot of PDFs that you can download. Uh, Natural Natural Resource Conservation Service is the federal version of Texas Parks and Wildlife, and they have a huge uh, depository of information that you can download. So you can educate yourself uh, just online, or uh, you can call somebody like me. 
Wow, you actually answered my unasked question. I was going to lead into that. If somebody can't afford finding a broker or having the time to manage the ranch that they inherited in order to upgrade it or change its purpose, then what was that website again? You said they could find the PDFs of this information? Okay, the best one I would go to would be the Natural Resource Conservation Service, NRCS. Again, that's the old Soil Conservation Service. That's what it used to be called. And that's NRCS, Natural Resource Conservation Service. But you are tuned in here on Talk Law Radio. We have another break coming up right now talking about ranches, wildlife versus hunting purposes. We have on the phone with us Jim Mullen. Please stay with us after this break. We have a few last-minute questions to ask you in our last segment. If you have any questions for Jim or any suggestions about what kind of topic you want us to talk about next, Follow us on Facebook Live and send us your comments in the live stream, Talk Law Radio. Stay tuned after this break. You've heard him on Talk Law Radio. Now work with his firm yourself. Our court law firm is the go-to firm in San Antonio for wills, trusts, and powers of attorney. Want to have a say on who will get your money and assets when you die instead of leaving it up to a judge? Then you need a proper estate plan in place, and Marquardt Law Firm can help you do just that. It can also develop a strategy for your long-term care financing and help maneuver the complicated Medicaid process for your family. Call them today to schedule your no-cost legal consultation. Call 210-530-4278. Again, that's 210-530-4278. Protect what's yours with Marquardt Law Firm, marquardtlawfirm.com. Welcome back to Talk Law Radio with your host, Todd Marquardt, and I'm your co-host, Christiana Villegas. Thank you so much for staying tuned with us if you've been listening along through our muffled mask. Uh, A reminder, if you're here in San Antonio, the mayor has updated their orders of social distancing and regulations If you don't have a mask yet, you should look into finding one or making your own because starting Monday, they will make it a requirement to wear a mask in public. So we're trying to beat beat the traffic and get ahead of the curve by practicing now. (laughs) This is Talk Law Radio. We're having Jim Mullen on the phone with us to learn about ranch real estate. And Mr. Marcourt, you had a question you were bringing up during the break. So uh, Marquardt Law Firm and Falcon Bank sponsor the show, and Marquardt Law Firm focuses on business law and estate planning. So attorneys at Marquardt Law Firm help farmers and ranchers develop tax-protected inheritance plans through custom last wills, living trusts, and estate plans. And so we always ask our guests about legacy. So Mr. Mullen... What would you say you want your legacy to be? That's a a good question. I would say that I would want people to remember me as being ethical and and honest and reasonably knowledgeable. Well, you've got 30 years of doing what you do. I, I, I think I've learned that at least today. Well, I, I do my best work off the tailgate of a truck, so if you want one more, just come out and see me. Okay. 
So when I was uh, researching this area of the law, uh, wildlife management led me to uh, conservation easements, which is a, a legal way of um, taking your land and putting some restrictions on it if you need a, a tax break, a, a charitable deduction, or if you just want to preserve that land in some way. And a funny thing about conservation easements is uh, you can read uh, lots of articles about how uh, Donald Trump has been criticized. And one of the favorite topics is how he used conservation easements for his property called Mar-a-Lago. And uh, even though he hasn't released his tax returns, he has made public his charitable donations from 2010 through 2015, which totaled more than $100 million, uh, which some of that $100 million, $63.8 million, uh, consisted of conservation easements. And so conservation easements are a way for people who want to protect the environment or they want to uh, set aside some land to educate the public about some aspect, or they just want their family to not develop the land. So if, if you have a bunch of land that, that butts up against 1604 or I-10 or 281, uh, but you don't want it to become some housing development, uh, you could use conservation easements to uh, restrict that. And like I said, um, you might be able to get a charitable deduction, and you might even avoid or, or at least reduce your federal estate tax liability. So then if, if you're looking at um, conservation easements or you're just thinking about how do I pass down my property to the next generation. There are several ways of doing that uh, besides using conservation easements. You also want to keep in mind that there are special valuations, special use valuations to help reduce property taxes as well. So you, you want to seek out advice on these things because if you do it the wrong way, then you're not going to achieve the goal that you have. One of the things that some of my clients have done is they will use um, limited partnerships or family limited liability companies to keep control of the property but pass on some of that ownership while they're still alive so they can start educating the next generation on what the values of the family are. Jim, ha have you met any family-run businesses, uh, business owners that uh, wanted to restrict the use of the land? Oh, absolutely. Uh, conservation agents have been around for a pretty good while. And uh, in, our, in our jargon, we say that a conservation agent is selling or donating the development rights to the land. So, um, the second ranch I managed is actually under a conservation easement now, but it is set up so that you there are four home sites 
uh, uh, marked out on the ranch so that if the four heirs decide to split the ranch into four pieces, they can each build a house. Now, they can never split the ranch and sell it in pieces. They have to sell it whole, and they'll always be subject to that conservation easement. Uh, it does it does reduce the value of the property because you, it's never going to be uh, developed or can't be developed. So you have to be pretty motivated <laughs> for that purpose because you're going to limit the profitability of the property for some time. Well, that's right. In fact, at the, as we speak, I'm working with a gentleman who's looking at a piece of property in uh, Duval County that is under a conservation easement by the Nature Conservancy. And that's a great outfit. Um, they have land donated to them. They put it under a conservation easement, and that uh, prevents uh, development. Uh, we we get a copy of the easement, and everything is set out. Um, tells you what you can and can't do. This one tells you you can still manage for wildlife. So we can still clear brush. We can do stuff like that, but we can't put it in 10-acre tracks and sell those ranchettes. Yeah, so those uh, parcels of land that that still exist uh, next to San Antonio might be very valuable because uh, the the city is or the county is saying that uh, the highest and best use of that land would be housing developments, and and so when when the owner passes away, and the IRS says hey, we'd like for you to pay some taxes on that land because of the value, uh, you can fight back and say, well, hey, it's not that valuable because we gave up yep. the right to um, develop that I land. Exactly. I, I said exactly. Another use of it, um, there's, there's uh, groups in San Antonio that buy hill country land that's in the Edwards Recharge Zone. They put a conservation easement on it so that that will always remain natural and able to collect rainwater for the uh, Edwards Aquifer. Yeah, we need that. Oh yeah, no, that's <laughs> a very valuable. That's a very valuable service. And um, you you could say, well, they lose money every time they do it, but they don't actually lose money because it, it affects the taxes, like you were mentioning, and um, they get the donation. It certainly is a balancing act of finding out what purpose the ranch is going to be for, depending on the owner, but then also what the ranch is capable of having based off of the land provided, and then what kind of contracts and conservation easements were already placed before you were able to get that land. It's a lot of information to dive through, but you said that you have that information available in the ebook Finding, Buying, and Developing a South Texas Ranch by visiting your website, quailpro.com, correct? Well, and then. The book is the questions, is not the answer. I just tell you what you need to be asking about. And certainly lawyers get involved in every large transaction. Uh, so I get you pointing in the right direction and hopefully negotiate a decent deal. And then we give it to the lawyers to make sure all the uh, T's are crossed and the I's are dotted. Absolutely. So for how each individual has a unique situation of why they're coming into contact with this real estate or a broker, it should be that they choose the person that they find is the best match for them, a licensed and experienced individual. So the information that we're relaying today is to bring knowledge to the table, but any actions that you want to take, you really should find 
someone who can individually sit down with you, break down what kind of dynamics you have in your life right now, and then move forward with that person if you have that trust. One more question, Jim. How how do I convince the Axis deer to come down to South Texas? Well, you can convince them the same way that they got to the hill country. You can load them on a trailer and bring them down. (laughs) Do do people hire you to uh, to figure that out to 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 change some things about the ranch? I would say for the most part, I'm hired to manage native game. Um, you get up in the hill country, you see more exotics, and actors are a good example. They're they're exotics. They're introduced. They're not native, but they're everywhere, and that's because they they do such a good job competing. So, in in truth, a high fence in the hill country may be to keep exotics out because they want to manage white-tailed deer, native deer. Okay, so they might find their way down there eventually, anyway. Well, a good example of, of South Texas, of course, is uh, Neil Guy. They were introduced uh, because in India, where they come from, uh, they eat brush. And so they thought, well, we'll bring them to the King Ranch, and they'll produce meat by eating brush, and we'll produce meat uh, with our cows uh, eating grass. Uh, the problem is they got down here, and the Neil Guy said, hey, this is pretty good grass. And they started reproducing. It was too late to catch them and bring them back. So now they're they're prolific down in, in the deep south Texas, and the highways are not a barrier. The fences are not. They go under fences rather than over them anyway. So that's a 800-pound animal that's been introduced, and it's, it's kind of a mistake. I've heard about the Neil guy and how they tear up the fences. Yeah, that's 800 pounds, and they you know, they get their head under it and lift the fence and walk through. Oh, and wow. It's just amazing, yeah. Well, fortunately, we have an episode in our past playlist when we did a special interview on hunting regulations, and I think a lot of people might have some questions about those now if they're having a hard time finding meat on the shelves in the store. Thank you so much for joining us, Jim, staying on the phone with us throughout this entire episode. If you have questions for Jim or you want to find his book, Finding, Buying, and Developing a South Texas Ranch, visit quailpro.com. Send us any suggestions for the next topic and guests that you want to have on our show when we come back on Saturday mornings at 11. Find us on Facebook with Talk Law Radio, YouTube as well, and Apple Podcasts. You can find us by looking for the Scales of Justice. And next week, we will be having Weston Martinez teaching us about communication technology. We'll see you next week on Talk Law Radio.